Sherwin. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's wonderful to see all of you. And welcome to everyone who is tuning in from home on uh, online. Thank you as well for joining us. I'm going to invite all of us to stand together. And I would love for us to kick off this morning by cultivating some gratitude in our hearts. And in our lives. I can't think of a better way to start off. All right, let's sing, church. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name and all your joy. Always my praise. And we give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. When I was down. When I was down, you brought me out. You set my feet on higher ground. So here I stand. You are my God. Your faithfulness, my solid rock. Oh, and I give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing. Of your mercy and your love, your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the battles you have won. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. Oh, yes, I am. And we give thanks, church. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget. All the battles you have won, your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. Are you grateful this morning?
All right, let's put our hands together just like this. And we sing, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Once again. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. And give us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us as we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, let your kingdom come. Sing, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Oh, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth. On earth as in heaven. Right here. Right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. Let your kingdom come. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. The kingdom. The power. The glory are yours. It's yours. It's yours. All yours, all yours, forever and ever, the kingdom is yours. Once again, church, it's, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours, all yours, all yours. the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours, all yours. Forever and ever, the kingdom is yours. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. We sing, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Once again, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Last time now. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. On earth. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Last time, church. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Amen. Amen. Quick little high maintenance artist break. Hold on a second.
So one of the things that I'm grateful for today, speaking of gratitude, is we are relaunching our children's ministry today. Woo-hoo! How about that? Yeah. And I want to, I just want to take a moment. Uh, I want to say thank you for everyone who has stepped up to teach or lead or, or, or help in that class or in, in our classroom. And uh, Jackie Stansfield and Kathy Gray are back there today. Woo-hoo! So we appreciate them. We appreciate all of you who are stepping up to serve. And I, I would just like to lead us in a prayer for our children's ministry and for our children and our teachers and helpers. And uh, before we move on here, so can we just pray for them and pray for their time together? Lord, we thank you so much. Um, we know how important children are to your heart. You speak about them specifically in the Gospels. You, Jesus encouraged kids to come to him yeah. and be with him and spend time with him. So I want to thank you for those who are who are teaching and helping in our in our children's ministry and I pray that you would give them uh, strength and, and and courage as they invite children to follow you as they show and share the love of Jesus with every child that walks into there and I pray that every child that does go in there would understand and, and would would see how valuable they are how much they matter to you and would 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 just have a, a really keen sense of of your love and your affection for them and pray this in christ's name amen Amen. so thank you to everyone who's serving this next song believe for it was written by cc winans co-written by cc winans is anyone familiar with that name oh man carolyn and i got to see her in concert a few months ago and she did this song and several other songs it was amazing and about this song uh cc says this she says Belief for it. This is a theme that I really want people to embrace. People who believe in God, people who might not ever go to church. I believe that hope is needed, and I want to impart this in, this hope into the hearts of people everywhere. The song challenges people to believe for wholeness and for healing for yourself, your family, your community. It's time, she says, to believe for unity. It's time to believe for revival. And uh, Carolyn is going to be leading us in revival prayer in just a moment. We'll be meeting tonight at 630 for our time of revival prayer and worship. But I pray that this song encourages you to believe in the one who can make all of that possible. The one who is forever constant. The one who is forever faithful. This is called Believe For It. Let's sing. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard. We've heard that there is no way through. 
We've heard the tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable. Break the unbreakable, God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle, God, we believe. Yes, we do. God, we believe for it. God, we believe for it. We know. We know that hope is never lost. Oh, for there is still an empty grave. God, we believe no matter what, there is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable, God we believe, God we believe for it, from the impossible, we'll see a miracle, God we believe, God we believe Once again, for it, move. move the immovable, break the unbreakable, God, we believe. Oh, yes, we do. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe God, we believe. And you are the way. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. Move the immovable. Break the unbreakable, God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle, oh, yes, we God, we believe, God, we believe, God, we believe for it. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable, God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. Praise the Lord.
All right. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. You can have a seat for a few minutes.
Revival happens when God's people are prepared. It happens when we are ready for it with tender hearts and humble spirits. We can't orchestrate, we can't orchestrate far-reaching revival. That's, that's God's work. But revival often begins with people coming under deep conviction and crying out in confession and repentance for their sin. When we stop to consider the holiness of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his temple. When we stop to recognize this, we realize our unholiness. Revival is happening around our world. Recently, we heard of the Asbury Revival of the outpouring of the Spirit, which inspired similar events at other Christian campuses. And it was after um, there was an around-the-clock what was seen at Asbury was spontaneous, organic, student-led worship. It started with just a few dozen students lingering after chapel to continue to sing and to pray together. There was no agenda. There was no clock watching. It was tender hearts confessing their sin and a desire to stay in the presence of God. And God filled their hearts and God filled their chapel. Hundreds lined the aisles, singing, praying, giving witness to the Lord. It unified their bodies, and the gospel was being proclaimed. That's revival. And it starts with recognizing the holiness of God and how unclean we are. A few things to note about revival. Tender hearts and humble spirits are needed if we want to see revival. Revival often begins with deep conviction and confession. It can start with just a few crying out to God and worshiping. It begins with a spiritual hunger, wanting to be closer to God, and it unifies the body of Christ, and the gospel is proclaimed. This is what we do at Revival Prayer. And so I want to invite you back tonight here at 630, like Matt mentioned, as a body of believers to gather for Revival Prayer. Let's pray right now, please. Dear God, we come before you today humbly needing of your grace, praying for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord, in all the ways we wandered so far from you. Lord, from those areas of our life that we've kept you out of, um, Lord, we realize your holiness and our unholiness. And God, I pray that you would just come into those areas of our life and forgive us, Lord, as we just want to surrender all to you. We need your healing, and we need your grace, and we are gathered to seek you. Lord, we are desperate for you and desperate, Lord, to be close to you. We pray that, your, uh, that by your spirit living and breathing through us, that we would be light and love in a world that so desperately needs your hope. Draw many to you. As Savior and Lord, and we pray that you would unify your people for your great glory. And God, I pray that you would fill this place and fill our hearts with your glory. And may our worship and our praise and our confession Lord, glorify you. Lord, I am. Um, Lord, I just pray that all your plans and purposes will prevail for you alone, Almighty. You are holy, 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 and the earth is filled with your glory. We believe and trust you to do extraordinary miracles in our lives.
Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Before uh, Kayla and Joy and I have one more song for you, I'd love to ask you to take a moment to greet some folks around you. Let them know you're glad they're here. And we'll continue with our worship in just a second. Thank you. Folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Pray this song encourages you to look to Him. Look to Him for hope. Let's look to him together. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Oh, yes, you do. Lord, we look to you. Lord, we look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. 
Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate that. I want to say a special thank you to the worship team today. I really appreciate you leading us in the worship of God. And uh, that song, my C.C. Winans, it just overwhelms me. It really does. Yeah, just it's just like, you know, <laughs> I had to sit down because I thought otherwise I was going to fall on my face. So, uh, and that's okay. It's okay to worship God while you're sitting. It's okay to worship God on your face as well. Uh, in fact, we're going to see a little bit of that in the text we're looking at today. But, uh, you know, um, uh, in, I, I just uh, – but I really appreciate the worship team today. I really do. I appreciate you leading us in worship. Wow, Carolyn, I really appreciate you. I do. I just appreciate your exhortation, your encouragement for us to pray for revival. Uh, I think your insights. I just think – and I really appreciate it. I do. I do. I, I, I believe there's no such thing as a church that's not in need of spiritual renewal. Okay? Anybody says, well, we got the best church ever. I'm like, well, no, you don't because you're proud. Uh, and you can't be proud and worship God, you know. We can say we have the best Savior ever, you know. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that every church is need, in need of spiritual renewal. And every person who follows Jesus is in need of spiritual renewal. And so when we invite you to revival prayer, we invite you to revival prayer because we really believe that's something that we need. We really do. And I honestly believe, and, and I remember that J.I. Packer, who, if you don't know who he is, he's like one of the better theologians, perhaps one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, early 21st century. But J.I. Packer, he wrote a book called Knowing God that some people know. But, but Packer was talking about, uh, doggone it. What's his face? Anyway, but he was, he was just saying that, that the only hope for the Western world is revival. It is. It's the only hope. And, uh, you know, the sad thing is, is from the time that he made that statement, which was back in early 1980, if I remember correctly, until now, we've, as a nation, we've, we've kicked God to the curb. We have kicked the church, which is the bride of Jesus, to the curb. And I believe we need it now more than we've ever needed it. So what's happening in Asbury, you know, it's not perfect. There, in any revival movement, you're always going to see some fringe elements. There's always a few crazies. But you know what? God, I think, is doing something special in the lives of these young people. And, and I, I'm excited by that, encouraged by that. And I think God wants to do that here as well. I really do. And that's why we pray for it. That's why we pray for it. We've got to prepare our hearts for it. Um, so... Uh, you know, Easter's coming up. It's on April the 9th, which I think would be five weeks from today. Is that correct? Five Sundays from today? 
in uh, five weeks, five weeks, since this is what I want to encourage you to do, uh, I want to encourage you to begin praying right now for the person you're going to invite. Begin praying right now for the person that, you, that you're going to invite, that you really want, and, and not just someone who goes to another church, but someone who really needs Jesus. Someone who really needs a church like this, where they can find encouragement, where they can find, well, where they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear hope, uh, which, by the way, uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're going to be talking about why, uh, how that the resurrection is significant for us now. And so in doing this, I'm actually reading, studying through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it's an incredible resurrection path passage that talks about how the resurrection applies to your very much your everyday life, how you live, the, the total orientation of your life. So uh, I'd like to encourage you uh, to be praying about that. I've already invited a couple different friends of mine. I haven't put together an invite card yet. I'm going to ask uh, my daughter Cass to help me put together, not help me, she's going to do it, uh, put together uh, a, an invite card. But that way, if, if she's helping me, it's going to look really bad. Uh, but if I let her do it, it'll be really good. But um, but I'd like you to, to to begin praying about the person you're going to invite. Uh, I'd like you to um, uh, if if you would like to help uh, make uh, someone feel welcome. Which, by the way, I hope every single one of us would want to do this. I mean, I do think it's an important part of loving your neighbor, and Jesus seems to think that's important. But I'd like you to to think if you. I'd like all of us to help people feel warmly welcome. But if you'd like to be a part of a welcome team. On that Sunday to make it special, uh, please talk to Matt about that. If you'd like to be a part of helping making uh, that Sunday very special for our children, uh, if you could touch base with Jackie uh, Stansfield, I would appreciate that. If you would like to um, to help with decorations, uh, you can talk to Joy about that. She's already talked about maybe getting some people and helping her kind of decorate and make things look really, really nice. Um, if you'd like to help with worship in some way, uh, this means that you should probably be able to sing or you should probably be able to uh, play a musical instrument, whatever. Uh, but EC3 Church, uh, Emmanuel Christian Community Church, who meets here at 4 o'clock on Sundays, they've asked if they can celebrate Easter, Good Friday and Easter with us. So they're going to join us, and uh, we're going to be bringing together our worship teams. But you can talk to Matt about that. And then finally, I saved the most important for last. Uh, if you'd like to help make the food special... Uh, just kidding. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, then Sharon runs our refreshments with the help of, of Sandy, and, uh, but we'd like to have some special treats for that, that week. So, we, you know, what we did last week, some of us met, and we talked about if this were our very first Easter, what would we do? What would we do? And that's what we want to do is we want to celebrate this Easter like it's our very first Easter. And uh, so, uh, but I want to be encouraging you to really be praying for that person that you really want to see come to know Jesus, that you'd like to see them come to our church, and inviting that person. Um, we are right in the middle of, uh, not in the middle, actually we kicked it off two weeks ago, took a one-week break. How many of y'all were here last week for Dave Gudgel? That is the best sermon on Haggai I've ever heard. It is. I mean, I just thought he did an awesome job. Uh, but we took a one-week break, but we're, today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2, uh, ideally, if I could preach this text, which I can and I will, uh, ideally we would have about two hours, we would, and what, what I would want to do is I'd want to, first of all, uh, go through uh, Psalm chapter 2. 
so in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 is about the Lord and his anointed. You know what that means when it says he's the, the, the Lord's anointed? It means he's the Messiah. It means he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it talks about the nations raging against the Lord and his, his anointed. And, and in that, he's referred to as the begotten, the, the begotten son. The begotten son. It is a reference to, uh, to, to Jesus and that one day that Jesus is going to rule the nations. And the Bible says he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Okay? And that's significant. And it says he will shatter the nations with a rod of iron. And that is significant in what we read in Daniel chapter 2. But I'd like to do Psalm 2, I'd like to do Daniel 2, and then I'd like to, what would I do next? Oh, and then I'd go to Revelation chapter 20, where we see the nations gathered, where they are deceived one final time by Satan, by the serpent of old, by the dragon, and how being deceived by Satan, they come against, guess who? The Lord's anointed. And we see this incredible victory of God in Daniel chapter uh, 20. And then we see him setting up his eternal kingdom in chapters 21, 22 of the book of Revelation. It's very, very interesting stuff. So having said all of that, it's going to be hard for me maybe to stay focused and for you as well. And that's why I put together the notes for you, okay? So very quickly, uh, Peter, when Peter was writing to early Christians, he wrote to them as exiles. He called them exiles. That we, this is not our home. That we are living as exiles in a foreign land. I know most of you are Americans and you think of yourself as this is not a foreign land. But this is not your ultimate home. This is not your ultimate home. We are actually exiles here. And the book of Daniel was written to instruct exiles how to live in exile. How to experience God's shalom in exile. And how to bring, ex- uh, how to bring shalom to the very land where they were in exile in. And that's a lot of why the book of Daniel is written. So we have a, a better home uh, uh, that's coming. We are citizens uh, uh, of heaven. That's where we ultimately belong. So today, what I want us to do is, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 2. You really want to have your Bible open today. Uh, we're going to have it on the screen, but but I think it's important that you have your Bible with you, or if you have it on your, your phone, you can look at it on your phone. But I want to encourage you to, to have this. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, and let me just read for us. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. It's 49 verses, a little longer than we, what we would typically do. But this is the word of the Lord. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. This is the word that you need to hear. This is the word of the Lord. This word is true and it is trustworthy. And there's nothing any pastor is ever going to say about the word of God that's more important than the word of God. And we need to hear God's word. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams very, very quickly. This is about 602, 603 B.C. 605 B.C., Nehemiah was not yet king. He was going to be king, but he just defeated Jerusalem. And he carried away Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a whole lot of other people in the exile. 
In the second year, by the way, can anybody tell me how old Daniel was when, when he was carried away in exile? Anybody remember this from two weeks ago? He's just a teenager. He's probably 16, 15, 16, 17 years old. Very, very young. This is approximately two to three years later. Okay? Two to three years later. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. You ever have dreams? I had a dream about this text on Friday night. I really did. I had a dream about this sermon. It was a great sermon in my dream. <laughs> then I forgot what it was all about, so it may not be great today. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. You ever have that experience? You ever been troubled by your dreams? And Nebuchadnezzar was. Uh, in the ancient world, oftentimes the dreams of a king were thought to pertain to things of the future. And so he was disturbed about the future because of what was in his dream. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. He says, guys, I want you to tell me my dream. He wanted them to tell him what he dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me. And I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Okay, you've got to tell us the dream, king, before we can interpret it for you. Verse 5. The, the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. This is what I am unyielding on. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut, hacked, chopped into pieces, literally torn limb from limb. And your house is turned into piles of rubble. Anybody want to be an astrologer? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So basically what the king's wanting to know is he's wanting to know, do they really have the ability to interpret it? Or are they just going to tell him a bunch of lies? And to test them, he's like, well, if they can tell me the dream, they can probably tell me the interpretation. Verse 10, the astrologers answered, underline this in your Bible. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth. In this they're right. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. This is an impossible task. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a, a thing of, of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. It's impossible. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. 
Nebuchadnezzar really needed to be in an anger management class. He really did. He needed to be in a 12-step group, just like most of us. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. He wants them all dead. Verse 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now remember, Daniel's probably around 19 years old. And someone's looking for him with a sword in his hand. When we read the Scripture, we need to see what we're reading. Daniel's death edict, whatever you want to call it, has just been signed. He, his head is on the chopping block. He is to be killed with everybody, every other wise man in Babylon. Verse 14, when Arioch the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Whenever a guy approaches you with a sword, it's usually best to uh, respond to him with wisdom and tact. Anybody, anybody ever been approached by someone with a sword? I have one time. That's another story. Okay? It's a weird one. He asked the king's officer, why, why did the king, this is Daniel responding with wisdom and tact, why did the king... Uh, issue such a, a, a decree. Now, folks, get this. He's 19 years old. He's probably 19 years old. He is responding in an amazingly calm way. Now, what would enable a young man to be able to do that? Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Arioch or to, to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king, asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from, uh, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that uh, he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You got this? They're praying. God, give us the answer to, to what the, the king asked. Show us the dream. Show us the interpretation. Um, I'm 19. Thank you. 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, and, 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 and the words that follow right now are easy to just kind of, just kind of read over and not really think about. But this is what you're supposed to be thinking about. This is really what you're supposed to be paying attention to in this test text. Everything else is, is, is creating a context for understanding the points that we're about to read here. Uh, Daniel praises the God of heaven, verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Ariot, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king 
and I will interpret his dream for him. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So Ariok's kind of taking a little bit of credit here. Hey, I found someone who can answer your question, king. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? It's an easy question. Can you do this? Daniel replied, no. No. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, Daniel's not taking any credit for this. He is putting everything here to God. He has shown Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in days to come, the future. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind uh, as you were lying in your bed are these. As your majesty was there, your mind turned to things to come, the future. And the revealer of mysteries, that would be God, the revealer of mysteries... I lost my place. The revealer of mysteries show you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. You see this? A ginormous statue. The head is made of gold. Uh, the, the, its chest uh, and arms were made of silver. Its belly and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. That rock... That rock is an important rock. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces and became like chaff on thy threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Does it sound kind of weird? Sounds like one of my dreams. Okay? Kind of weird. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. In other words, he's kind of like king over the ancient world at that time. Uh, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Okay, you got that? Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, he doesn't say much more than that. He, he just says, there's another one coming after you. Okay? Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom. He gives us a little bit more focus on the fourth kingdom. Uh, finally, there will be uh, a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. 
And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron, partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In that, in the time of those kings, in the time of those kings, the fourth, the fourth, we're talking about the fourth kingdom here, the iron and the iron mixed with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to any uh, to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate. You know how I talked about there are lots of different ways you can worship? One of them is on your face. That's what the king does. Interesting, though, he kind of worships, a, he worships the wrong person. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. By the way, that word honor is used repeatedly in chapter 3 to speak of worship. He actually worshipped Daniel. Okay? He was, at, he was worshiping the, the messenger or the interpreter of the message rather than the one who gave him the message, the Lord God. The king, uh, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. All right. Everybody got that? Let's pray and we'll go home. No, just kidding. Um, you know, I'm going to try to make this as fast as I can. I'm going to try to make this as fast as I can. Uh, because this is a long text. It's just filled with a lot of stuff. But there are a few things I think are very, very important for you to understand. First of all, first of all, and this is not in your notes, but let me just say this, okay? Let me just say this. I do think that this text speaks a little bit to the human condition. I do. And I do believe... Let me, and what I mean by that is this. What I mean by that is, is that we're all often frightened by what we do not understand. Okay? What we do not understand, what we cannot control, oftentimes will frighten us. Okay, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, when we think about the future, we can feel anxious. You ever watch the news? You ever watch the news? You ever turn off the news and feel a little bit anxious about what's going on in our world? You're exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. I am too. 
Sometimes we get anxious about what we don't really understand. We get anxious. We're afraid of mysteries. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of what we don't understand. We're afraid of the future. What might take place? Okay, let me, let me, I'm going to share with you nine thoughts and I'm going to give you kind of like the main idea here. Okay? What did God want? What did God want the early? Remember, the book of Daniel was written in the 6th century B.C. And it was written for a group of people living in the 6th century B.C. It was written to a group of people, most of whom were living in exile. It was written to people who were, were living in exile and they were anxious. They had been uprooted from their nation and they had been carried a long way away. They had little hope of ever returning to their homeland. This was an anxious people he was writing to. For them, their nation, their temple had been destroyed. Everything that had been in their temple had been carried away. From an ancient world perspective, their God appeared to be a defeated God. Do you understand this? Is, is that you have to kind of climb into the mind of people in the ancient world, if you're going to, or in, in the ancient world, if you're going to really understand what the text is about. And when Daniel's writing this, he wasn't just writing us, this for us today. He was writing this for them then. And there's several things that, that God wanted them to understand. That, that, uh, the first thing is this, uh, in, in, I just want to get this said because I do believe it's important. Daniel can do what the other wise men and magicians cannot do. Is that clear? The, the magicians, the astrologers can't tell King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is and what it means. Daniel can do what the other wise men and magicians cannot do. Why? 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 Because God can do what the false pagan gods uh, cannot do. That's in your notes. Okay? If you're taking notes, that's in your notes. That Daniel can do what the other wise men and magicians cannot do because God can do what the false pagan gods cannot do. Number two, we see this in verse 20. Uh, and and I, I think this is pretty clear. That, that wisdom and power belong to God. That the God of Israel is not a defeated God. The wisdom and power belong to him. Praise be to the name of, uh, of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Number three, all human history. And, and when I say all human history, including the future, all human history and the future are in God's hands. Okay? All of it is in God's hands. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. All human history is in his hands. Okay? That, that God is awesomely in charge of the unfolding of human history in the future. Okay? Number four, God is the one who rules kings and kingdoms, nations, presidents. God is the one who raises up a nation and humbles a nation. God is the one who raises up a leader and deposes the leader. Nebuchadnezzar was rose to the place he was because of God. Okay, Christian, understand this. Christian, Christian who gets anxious about who wins each election. Listen to this. 
God's in charge. God's in charge of who's in the White House. I know we live in a democracy and we think we're in charge. God is in charge. Nobody ever made it to the White House where God was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he got elected. How did that happen? All right? By the way, as bad as we may believe our presidents are, whichever president that might be in your mind, I guarantee you none of them were anything like Nebuchadnezzar. All right? Okay. Uh, God is the one. What, where am I at? Point, which point am I on? All right, five. Okay, five. God is the one who humbles and exalts. Six. God is the one who gives wisdom and knowledge to the wise and discerning. Uh, in uh, I think it's in verse 21 here says that, that that he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Uh, that 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 seventh. That God is the one who reveals mysteries. Okay, verse 22 says he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. That God is the one who reveals mysteries. Eight, God is, is going to judge the nations and set up his eternal kingdom and rule forever. Verses 44 and 45. In the time of those kings, the Bible says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another, another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. That, 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 that God is going to judge the nations and set up his eternal kingdom and rule forever and ever. You know, there, there's, there's an interesting, it, it, it's, it's very, very interesting. It's in the dream. You remember the dream? You remember the dream? There's a huge image, head of gold, you know, chest, arms of silver, you know, belly, uh, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You remember that? And then you remember the rock? You remember the rock? Cut out, not by human hands? Okay. Just the rock, not cut out by human hands. The very first song we, met, we sang today, we sang about God being our rock. All right? Throughout the scriptures, the rock is often used to speak of God, and oftentimes it's used to speak of Jesus. Um. In Luke chapter 20, verses, uh, well, I won't read the whole thing, but in Luke chapter 20, the religious leaders are opposing Jesus, and they're questioning his authority. In verse 18, well, actually, I'll begin in verse 17. The Bible says that Jesus looked directly at these religious leaders who were questioning his authority. And that's what he said to them. Uh, he said this, the stone the builders rejected. This is a quote from, from the book of Psalms. The stone, the stone, remember the stone? Remember the stone not cut with human hands? Do you remember that stone? The stone, see, see, it's in Daniel, it's in Psalms, it's in Luke. The stone, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone on whom it falls, the stone falls, it, it, it falls, it will be crushed. The stone that crushes the, 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 the feet of the statue, smashing it to pieces, smashing the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the clay to pieces so that it becomes like chaff on a summer day, blown, by, uh, blown away by the wind, with no trace, 
the stone, the rock. Luke 2, or excuse me, Psalm 2, the anointed one who smashes the nations with a rod of iron and rules with a rod of iron is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, ninth thing I want you to see is this, and these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. But I also believe that God here is speaking through a pagan king. God is the God of gods and Lord of kings. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Um, okay. I, 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 you know, this is one of those things where it's like, I, I wish I could remember it my dream on Friday. It would have been a much better sermon, okay? Okay, everybody gets stuck whenever we're talking about Bible prophecy, and I probably get more stuck than anybody. Um, so let me just kind of clarify something for you. Uh, and I think the best way to do this, understand the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, iron mixed with clay. Remember those parts of the statue? Represent different kingdoms, according to Daniel. Rather than trying to develop this, I just want to read for you a note from the English Standard Version Study Bible, the SV Study Bible, because I think it kind of it, it kind of expresses this pretty clearly. I put it in your notes. It's in a little box. It's actually in your notes, so you can take it home and you can read it again and again. You can memorize it if you want to. And I've also put it up here on the screen. Actually, Joe put it on the screen. Okay, but I gave it to Joe. Uh, and what it says is this. Uh, it, this is about the four kingdoms that are represented. It's striking. God, it, it is striking. God gave this dream to Nebuchadnezzar in, in the 7th century, okay, about 602 B.C. That's when he saw this dream, about 602, the 7th century B.C. It's striking. Why is it striking? Because of what it pictures. For in this dream and in the subsequent visions linked to it in chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel, God predicts in accurate detail the future kingdoms that will arise to dominate the world history, uh, that will arise to dominate world history in the 6th, 4th, and 1st centuries B.C. Traditional commentators through the, through, uh, through the history of the church have almost universally identified the four kingdoms as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia rose to greatness in 539 B.C., okay? So roughly, you know, a little over 60 years after this, this prophecy was made. The Medo-Persian Empire rises, and it, uh, uh, it, after that, um, uh, Greece under Alexander the Great, about 331 B.C., specifically named in Daniel 821, and Rome, the Roman Empire, began uh, Empire began its rule over Palestine in 63 B.C. Okay, so the four kingdoms there are um, uh, re- represent Babylon, the head of gold, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, which would be the arms and the chest of silver, and uh, the the belly, the thighs of bronze would be uh, uh, would be uh, the Greek Empire, uh, which came under uh, Alexander the Great, and then the the, the legs of iron and then the feet partially of iron and clay would be would would be Rome. Uh, a lot of there's been a lot of guesswork about the significance, the importance of the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron. 
basically the way a lot of teachers understand this, I don't think it's wrong, okay? Uh, but I don't, don't think you should be dogmatic about it. The, the gold, obviously, is more valuable than silver, more valuable than bronze, more valuable than iron. But iron is stronger than bronze, is stronger than silver, is stronger than gold. That each succeeding empire became stronger. Each succeeding empire became stronger, but the character of each empire was more immoral. It's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. The, the Babylonian Empire lasted for about, if I remember correctly, about 87 years. Uh, the, the Medo-Persian Empire lasted roughly just slightly over 200 years. The Greek Empire lasted somewhere around 250 to 260, depends upon how you understand history. The Roman Empire, do you all know how long the Roman Empire lasted? Okay, okay. The, the Roman Republic was, lasted for 500 years. Then the Roman Republic became an empire in 27 B.C. when uh, Caesar Augustus, when Octavius was, was named Caesar Augustus. From 27 B.C. all the way to 476 B.C. was the Western Roman Empire. The Eastern Roman Empire continued all the way to 1453 A.D. It lasted for a long time. Remember the iron mixed with clay, parts strong, parts weak? That's, that is a really good picture of the Roman Empire. That parts of it were very, very strong. And then parts of it faded away. While other parts remained strong, some parts were, became very, very weak. Um, it's pretty fascinating stuff. But what we're supposed to do, and you're not supposed to do what I do, you're not supposed to nerd out on all of that, um, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get the main point. The main point. And the main point really isn't about the empires. The main point isn't about, you know, when is Jesus going to come back and who the Antichrist is. The main point you're supposed to get is this, when it comes to, to this text, is that you can thrive in exile. You can thrive in exile. You can thrive in exile when you recognize that God, this is on the back page of your notes. You can, you can thrive, on the back page of your notes, I've got it down here. You can thrive in exile when you recognize that God is the revealer of mysteries. He is the revealer of wisdom and knowledge. And he is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the sovereign ruler. And when we say he's the sovereign ruler, we are saying he is awesomely in charge. The sovereign ruler over the unfolding of human history. He is God. He is God and he deserves all of our worship. All right, I think the appropriate thing to do is ask the worship team to come on back up. I'm going to lead us in prayer and we're going to worship. God, you are great and awesome. You, uh, you are the revealer of mysteries. You are the revealer of wisdom and knowledge. You are, uh, God, you are sovereign over every king, every president, every kingdom, every nation. You are the one who lifts up. You are the one who deposes and humbles. God, you are triumphant. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, um, 
when we pray, your kingdom come, this is what we are praying for. We are praying when the Lord Jesus will come and he will set all things straight, that he will, will rule forever. God, we want to worship you because you are outrageously in charge of the unfolding of human history and the future. We don't have to watch the news with anxiety because we know, we know that you are perfectly in charge. Perfectly in charge. And so we praise you and we worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, Gary. I'm so glad our God is sovereign, is perfectly in charge. And in light of that, there are a few um, special announcements I want to bring to your attention. Tonight, as Carolyn mentioned earlier, at 6.30, we're going to gather and we're going to worship and pray to our awesome and sovereign and in-charge God. So I want to invite you back here at 6.30. We're going to kick off with some worship uh, through music and, um, and then spend some time praying for revival. For us, for our church, for the churches in our community, for our nation. So would love to see you back here for that tonight at 6.30. A couple of other important things. Uh, two weeks from today is our annual uh, business meeting. Uh, it's going to take place after our service, and we invite you to stick around that day to hear about some of the great things God has been doing and, uh, and what our plans are moving forward, as well as taking time to vote on our, um, our budget, our new budget, and our elder team. So would love to encourage you to be there for that. Uh, Gary talked earlier about Easter weekend, uh, 6 p.m. on Good Friday. We'd love to invite you um, to, to be here for that as we uh, take time to, to really reflect and contemplate on, what, uh, on, on the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross on our behalf. That'll be a special time of worship that evening. And then, of course, for Easter Sunday at 10 a.m., we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to start thinking about who you'd love to invite. It would be wonderful if each and every one of us in here just invited one person, at least, to attend, uh, to, to, to attend that morning. And so uh, we, we look forward to, to that weekend and to, to celebrating um, Jesus' work on the cross and and uh, and his resurrection three days later. So uh, that's going to be a great weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I'm especially looking forward to having uh, EC3, as Gary mentioned, Emmanuel Church, join us as well. I've got a meeting today with their worship pastor to talk about uh, combining our teams for that morning and uh, and and leading worship together. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, finally, uh, we we get to worship God right now with our giving. And you know, at SVC, uh, we love worshiping God. And one of the ways that we want to do that is through our tithes and our offerings. And when we give generously, when we give sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything from us. It's because we want to show our love for him primarily. Uh, Giving is not just an expression of obedience, but it's also an expression of gratitude, as we sang about earlier and as we're going to sing about again. It's an expression of trust. It's an expression of becoming more and more like Jesus. So you can find out all the ways that, that, that you can give on our website and on app on our app. You just have to tap the Give button on our app, and that will guide you through that process as well. So we thank you for your kindness and generosity, and I want to invite you to stand. And let's, um, let's end today as we began with gratitude. How's that sound? All right.
All right, let's put our hands together. This is the day. Let's sing it. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. And I give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. When I was, when I was down, you brought me out. You set my feet on higher ground. And here I stand, you are my God, your faithfulness. Oh, we give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the battles you have won. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. Lord, you are faithful. We are grateful and we give thanks. One more time, church. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the battles you have won. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. And I am grateful you were with us today. Hope to see you back here at 630 tonight. Take care.